Broadcasting live from the Business Radio X studios in Midtown Atlanta, it's time for Top Docs Radio, brought to you by Medical Association of Georgia. With over 7,800 physician members, MAG is pleased to advocate on behalf of Georgia's patients and physicians. Visit mag.org and on Twitter at mag1849. Join the conversation on Twitter at Top Docs on BRX. Hello, everyone. It is CW. Thank you for checking out the Top Docs radio show. I'm pleased to have you here. And this week, we continued our series with the Medical Association of Georgia. And for those of you out there who are physicians or other healthcare providers billing Medicare, or perhaps maybe a medical practice administrator, because we're talking about Medicare's new Merit-Based Incentive Payment System, or MIPS, My guest in the studio was Elizabeth Woodcock, and she is a leading expert on third-party payers and medical practice management. She is a professional speaker, trainer, and author, and she's focused on medical practice operations for more than 20 years. In fact, she's delivered presentations at regional and national conferences to more than 200,000 physicians and managers. In addition to her popular email newsletters, she's authored 15 best-selling practice management books and published dozens of articles in national healthcare management journals. And today she was talking about the fact that instead of the EHR or the physician quality reporting system or the value-based payment modifier programs, the government is going to begin employing a single payment platform, which is the result of the Medicare Access and Chip Reauthorization Act or MACRA that was signed into law in 2015. This new payment model will be based on a 100-point MIPS composite performance score, and this composite performance score will determine your Medicare payment adjustment. That can be either up or down. This is scheduled to commence in 2019, and the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services are going to use 2017's calendar year as the basis for those initial rates of reimbursement. Keep in mind, this is not an optional process. You're going to want to stick around for the full interview with Elizabeth Woodcock coming up next. Good afternoon, everyone. It is C.W. Hall, your host here on the Top Docs Radio Show. Thanks for making us a part of your day today. We're going to be getting into some payment type information around Medicare and some of the changes that are coming out that are going to be affecting the medical practices around the country and how they are reimbursed. So definitely going to want to be paying attention if you're a practice manager or a physician or a provider that's billing Medicare because things are a changing and uh, they're not optional. So I have in, in studio with me a professional speaker, trainer, an author, and an expert on third-party payers and medical practice management, Elizabeth Woodcock with me in the studio today. Great to be here. Nice to have you. We're continuing our series with the Medical Association of Georgia. And Elizabeth, introduce folks to Woodcock and Associates real quick before we get started. Talk about the the consultancy and some of the things that you focus on with the medical practices that you work with. Terrific, CW. I have been really blessed to work with medical practices throughout my career. And my focus really is on revenue cycle management and practice operations. So for a you know, we've got some folks that aren't from the medical side of things. So what does that mean? When we're talking about revenue cycle management, we're talking about the backside, the billing side, the the less fun side, if you will, of of being a practice. Absolutely. Both revenue cycle and uh, practice operations, if we think of it from a patient perspective, are from the moment that we not even walk into a practice, but even place a call. What that experience is, how to be most efficient and effective uh, until the very last a penny is paid for that service. So it's really the workflow associated with 
really the patient experience from the front to the back. And with the new changes in the law in the last few years, we're starting to put more and more focus on quality on the patient experience as well. That's starting to become a component of it as well as the outcomes that the patient is able to achieve over time, particularly with things like some of the chronic problems like diabetes and hypertension and various things like that. But as I, as I understand it, Things are getting ready to transition yet again a little bit around the reimbursement side of things. One of the topics that we got into not too awful long ago was the value-based payment modifier programs. And from what I understand, Medicare's got this new merit-based incentive payment program, or MIPS for short, that's coming out and kind of evolving things a little bit further and maybe sounds like maybe condensing things into a little simpler, stream, more streamlined process by the sound of it. So can you share a little bit more about what we're talking about with MIPS program. Absolutely. And going back to your point about the patient experience and value and outcomes, we've known for several years now that the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services, which really sets the tone from a federal level for how physicians as well as facilities are reimbursed, that indeed we would see some pivots. And really, really, we saw kind of the first absolute stake in the ground about a year ago when the Medicare Access to Care and CHIP Reauthorization Act was signed into law. What's fascinating, though, is that as an industry, we simply focused on the fact that we were getting, once again, it was actually the 17th time Medicare reimbursement was being saved, if you will, from a massive, massive reimbursement cut. And now a year later, we're kind of realizing, ooh, that legislation had a lot more to do with our future, not just that immediate need to change that. And really the future, as CMS has said, is we're focusing on value and outcomes. So how does that work? I mean, because what I understand the when it when it comes to the the value based payment modifier programs from what i understand it basically takes that zero sum game and if my practice is not hitting certain markers my diabetics a1c's aren't trending downward uh, my my chronic hypertension patients aren't seeing improvement in their blood pressure and other markers so in those instances, my reimbursement for the following year is affected by how I did last year. And, and conversely, if my practice is one that's doing very well on those, my patients are getting better, then I can actually make a little more than the contract rate was. And that spread can be pretty significant. From what I understand, as much as 30% from the lowest to the highest performers. So you mentioned, CW, the value-based payment modifier program. It is one of three programs that the government actually passed this law to address from the perspective of, to be perfectly honest, confusion. Yeah. Physicians said, I mean, how many programs are we talking about? And not only that, but, you know, use the example of A1C. There's a whole other variable related to A1C and another federal government program called the Physician Quality Reporting System. So what's interesting is that this new, um, they're calling it, CMS is calling it the Quality Payment Program, of which MIPS is one of the two segments. MIPS is one of those two segments, is really to address the disparity from the program's that we've had to date, really, that have come up in the last five to six years. And I say disparity, the, the point being is that they're bringing them 
into one, into a single track for reimbursement. And I think a lot of that is really to reduce confusion. So it is going to stitch some of these together into one or at least uh, somewhat tied together parallel issues. Are they going away or are they, mm-hmm. they're just Never. being kind of, <laughs> yes, that's right. They're being brought, I guess, closer together in a way that it, as you say, a little easier to understand, maybe a little bit more easy to comply with requirements. Well, I'd be hesitate to, uh-huh. hesitant to say that um, because we are talking Let's about a government program. <laughs> I know, CW, we cannot get carried away. <laughs> But when we think about this program, and really this is literally late-breaking news because the proposed rule just came out weeks ago, is the government has taken that piece of legislation that was passed into law in April of 2015. Many of us knew it as the doc fix law because, again, we were so laser-like focused on what happened last spring and the fact that we got this really huge benefit by not having these massive, and I'm talking about 20-25% decreases to Medicare reimbursement. That same law, the doc fix law, also opened the door for the merit-based incentive payment system. And only weeks ago did CMS finally come out and say, here's what we're talking about. We are taking what Congress gave us and the president a year ago, and now we're formulating a program. And that program is called the Quality Payment Program, of which the merit-based incentive payment system is one of two tracks. So for my reporting and just my reimbursement in particular, I mean, for, for where we are today, I, from what I understand, this is going to be going into effect next year in 2017. Is that correct? That is correct. January 1st. Now, interestingly enough, even though it will go into effect on January 1st, 2017, we won't see any impact for right. 24 months. That's what I was going to ask. Is that they're not going mm-hmm. to, from what I understand, like the value-based payment modifier, for example, looks back last year and my reimbursement this year is based on that. I was going to ask you if when it goes into effect in 17, are they going to look at 16 or they're just going to start evaluating them 17 and so 18 will impact my rates? That is correct. And actually the rates will not be impacted until 2019. Mm-hmm. So 2017 will be really the the base year for this new program with the impact being 24 months later. So what does the, the merit-based incentive program, what does it add? What does it take away? Well, it's interesting because it does actually go back to our conversation before, which we said there's these three different programs. And that, of course, is, as many physicians know very, very well, the value-based payment modifier that you've spoke of. I mentioned PQRS, the Physician Quality Reporting System. The third program, which has actually been probably the most controversial, we call it now meaningful use. It really is the electronic health record incentive system. So those three programs will be combined into one. The different components are called like quality, for example, instead of value-based payment modifier is one of the programs. So we have quality, just to kind of outline the four, resource use, which is really cost, clinical practice improvement. Now that's our, our new one. And then last but not least, meaningful use, but interestingly enough, because meaningful use has become such a really negative term to the physician community, CMS decided to change its name. So it's now (laughs) advancing care information. I'm not kidding. Still there. It's still doing the same thing, but 
Absolutely. It's got a new name. So it's new name. It's it's a PR move. I think it's interesting as it relates to the implementation of electronic health records and having spoken with some EHR companies and and their leadership that that our government agencies are some of the ones that are the biggest laggards as it relates to implementing EMR. Absolutely. I mean, you look at the Veterans Administration, there's a lot of uh, great examples of some some very challenging technology when it comes to our government entities. So what does this mean then when, when this starts going into effect and, and our rates of payment are being changed or modified in 2019? I mean, how, how is that going to change the physician or the provider of healthcare who's billing Medicare? How is it going to change their their payment experience? Well, it's interesting because I do think there'll be sort of this movement in the next three to five years to kind of say, well, we're we're mostly on a fee-for-service, but we're starting to see some changes. And those changes really won't be seen, as we talked about before, until 2019. And when we see those new remittances, when we think about it from a billing perspective, we will see up or down 4%. That really is kind of the up or down 4% in 2019. That does include a downward 4% and an upward 4%. And then there will be some physicians as well as medical practices, because importantly, CW, physicians can participate in this program on a medical practice perspective. And that's actually really a huge pivot because many of these programs were individual, we called them EPs or eligible professionals. And now the nice part is CMS is allowing a practice to uh, participate together. And they're also indicating, they haven't given us the details yet, that small practices, solo physicians, et cetera, can actually participate as what they're calling a virtual group. So there will be some, just, just how we think of ourselves from a reimbursement perspective, some changes as well. When you talk about being able to participate as a group versus an individual provider, and I say provider knowing that we're talking about more than just physicians here. So, But from the perspective of making that change, I assume then that benefits the physicians and the other healthcare providers from the standpoint that maybe my particular practice has high-risk patients or very acute patients that maybe are more sick than others. So I could potentially, based on some of these markers, be penalized more than a counterpart who maybe their patient population is not as as sick. Is that what we're talking about? So that it gets, so our collective experience is what they're looking at to evaluate our performance. Is that what we're talking about or am I off track? Well, I think it'll be very interesting to kind of figure out. We've already seen some um, physicians who have been hurt by their colleagues and others who have been helped. I think from CMS's perspective is that it's more of a resource allocation um, issue. And by that, I mean to actually go in and report, no matter how good of a technology you have, to tease out this particular physician's XYZ transactions really actually becomes an administrative burden. So I think it'll be a huge advantage for practices to work together. And I do want to mention, I just briefly touched on this new variable. I want to mention that because this is really going to be very, very difficult to do outside of a group setting in that we have clinical practice improvement, CPI, and the activities, CMS has actually proposed 90 activities that are going to 
evaluate. And CW, this is very interesting because it really actually speaks to patient experience from the perspective of, do you have a safety checklist? Do you have good transitions of care program? Do you have a nurse who's acting as a care coordinator? So when I talk about resource allocation, I do think that we will see some changes in the next three to five years as physicians figure out, wow, we've got a lot on our plate and we need to make sure we have our resources used effectively and efficiently. And particularly because the government is really looking at our operations. This is not this is not even just claims. Or, I mean, this is our operations. This is a huge, a sea change that we really need to work together. We're talking with third-party payer and medical practice management expert Elizabeth Woodcock of Woodcock & Associates learning about the new Medicare Merit-Based Incentive Payment System, or MIPS. And when we were talking about the merit-based incentive payment system versus the uh, value-based payment modifier program, because each of those have, as it indicates, a modifier to what my reimbursement is. You were saying that the value-based payment modifier system is not going away. It's still there. So are, are you saying then that there's two essential, essentially two modifiers that will, or possibly more, that will each contribute plus or minus to my rate of reimbursement? So the value-based payment modifier is actually becoming a component of the merit-based incentive payment system. I see. And again, it's meaningful use, it's PQRS, but they're just calling them different things. And I, you know, that does, I think, lead to some frustration because, you know, we're sort of keeping these programs in place, but changing the names a little bit and a little bit about the rules. But physicians should not consider those to just simply go away. They're going to be there just in a little bit different form. It would seem to me with these changes and their, their geologic changes, I mean, we're talking about really significantly changing the way that our physician practices reimburse. How does that practice administrator keep up with all of these changes that could have such a significant impact on my revenue? Because, you know, trying to plan, it's a business. It, yes, we're delivering healthcare, but it is a business. So trying to plan and keep up with that uh, with the compliance and so forth, it almost seems like we have to have somebody like Elizabeth Woodcock come and work with my practice to make sure that we're staying on top of it because your job is staying on top of these things so that you can help those people. Yeah, it's a great point. And I think it is um, certainly a component of physician as well as practice executives frustration. You know, just this particular issue that we're talking about that just came out from the federal government several weeks ago is a 432 page about eight f- f- uh, font, eight point font <laughs> document that is, you know, will literally take 13 to 14 hours to read and probably a lot more to observe. There is um, a lot of challenges associated with what seems like every few months the government changing its mind about what they want. And, um, So the great thing is we have wonderful organizations like MAG who make these resources available in a way, um, if you will, Cliff Notes version of, okay, let's take that 432-page Federal Register, which, by the way, ironically, is just the proposed rule. So we won't know the final rule until likely the fall. And that will only give us about 90 days to prepare to get ready for January 1st, 2017. So um, I do think, though, 
using the ostrich defense, if you will, is not the way to go because we've got to at least know enough and then really, really look to great organizations like MAG to say, all right, when is it time for me to take action? And so when this comes to fruition, it starts going into effect beginning in 2017. Is it is it all physician practices? Is it is it particular populations in the physician practice world? Who's affected? Pretty much everyone is affected. But I will tell you, CW, that we failed to mention you can get out of this. You can actually get out of MIPS. And when the legislation was passed last spring, it made it seem like a lot of physicians could get out of this. I was uh, pretty optimistic. However, several weeks back when the federal government did release that proposed rule, they narrowed the getting out of it quite substantially. Allow me to explain. Basically, CMS is allowing physicians who are in advanced alternative payment models. These are AP to be released from the rules related to MIPS and get an automatic 5% increase to reimbursement. So it's a huge benefit to be part of an APM. But unlike they had indicated last spring, it's not just any APM. They are very, very specific in terms of the model that these advanced Um, alternative payment models must be under, and interestingly enough, the amount of risk they must bear. And so in a way, it's going to be fairly difficult to get out of this, but you can. What would be an example of an alternative payment model? So the government has actually given for the initial year from a proposed perspective, a very specific set of uh, advanced alternative payment models. And those are the comprehensive ESRD care model. And this is where dialysis, in essence, nephrologists, the comprehensive primary care plus. So again, a very specific CMS federal program. Interestingly enough, sort of the most popular accountable care organization is the Medicare Shared Savings Program. And many physicians are part of that. However, CMS says, "Mm, you've got to be part of track two or track three of the Medicare shared savings program. So in essence, this list that they came out with doesn't leave a lot of options for physicians. It won't be big numbers. And I would assume then based on the the terminology that you're using, I've not heard any of those. uh, That doesn't mean a whole lot other than I presume that if you say those terms in terms of payment tracks and and payment models that if I know what you're talking about and I'm a physician, then I'm probably one of those people that might look into it. If if I'm going, what are you talking about? I'm probably not. Yeah, it's a great, (laughs) great point. Great point. And they are very narrow scope. And interestingly enough, those models, and and I'm sure this is part of the intent from the government perspective, are mirroring the exact same things that we talked about, quality, resource, use, clinical practice environment, like that's part of those programs. The only other thing I wanted to mention that I do think is a good um, really strategy to think about in the next six to nine months is the government has said over and over and over again that if you are designated as a patient-centered medical home, you are actually exempt from the clinical practice improvement component of MIPS. So that would be something because it typically takes about six to nine months to actually pursue that recognition that practices and primary care may want to think about today. Well, it seems like things have, I mean, no sooner is something put into place that we're here, here we are talking about something else we're changing. How, 
how what's what's causing this to happen on that pace of evolution, if you will? Because I mean, some of these things just went in fourteen, fifteen, and here we are barely into sixteen, and we're changing things again. So what is what is causing that? Ah, uh, this no, no, now we're going to do this. What's causing that constant, seemingly every few months? making a big adjustment here. It is true. It does feel like every few months. And the Meaningful Use Program is a great example. Not even every few months. We're 9, 10, 11 months into the program year, and the program rules change. So again, this is, I think, been the cause of extreme amount of frustration. I do think it has something to do with the pretty extensive change of administration that's happened at the federal level from CMS. And what's interesting is each one of these programs we've been talking about, in essence, are administered by different segments of the agency. And so I do have a lot of respect for the federal government to kind of sit back and say, you know what, we we can't continue this much longer. It's kind of gotten ridiculous. And so we do need to combine those programs. Mm-hmm. But we'll see. I mean, will it work? We don't know the answer to that. I mean, it it seems based on some of our conversation today that there that this is designed to, as you talked about earlier, try to at least somewhat simplify uh, the process a little bit. Though, like I say, people are just now getting their heads around the last changes, and now we're changing it again. So, when you're sitting down with a practice, what are you saying they need to do? to be ready for this based on where we are today? Well, I my suggestion is for those minority of practices that have not participated in PQRS, the value-based payment modifier, as well as meaningful use, that really, even though there's not a lot of opportunities to gain large bonuses at this point, that the time is now to understand what those programs, what the components are, how to participate in. I mean, just take a look at meaningful use alone. This new ACI, Advancing Care Information, is the new name for, I know, it's, it is truly <laughs> laughable, for, the, for meaningful use. When you look at the components of ACI, it's the exact components of meaningful use. So I think the time is now to go ahead and participate or hone how it is performed. So for those practices that have sort of dabbled in it, maybe they did meaningful use for one year, PQS for one year, um, you know, just some examples. I recently was at a pulmonary medicine practice and their GPRO, which means their group practice reporting option. That's how they report. But they are also placing all of the CPT transactional code levels on every charge ticket. So they're doing both. So this is a good example of just kind of everybody coming together and saying, okay, I I know we have to do this, but are we efficient and effective at doing it? Because sometimes, as you know, one hand doesn't know what the other hand is doing. So you mentioned that the 400-page document is a proposal. Do you see things changing with that somehow, some way before 17 actually gets here? Well, it's a great point. So again, this original piece of legislation came out last April. This is MACRA that kind of opened the door for the Merit-Based Incentive Payment Program. And again, this kind of out that we all thought would be actually a pretty viable option that turns out not so much. That is, getting involved in an APM. And that's because CMS had come in and said, no, 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 it's not just an APM. It has to be an advanced APM. That's the alternative payment model. And here's what you need to do. So that's been a year. 
We know the proposed rule came out in April, but we also recognize, in essence, CMS knows it has eight months before this thing is implemented. By law, they have to have a particular comment period. And so typically, based on watching these federal registers, we will likely see the final rule sometime between August and the end of October. You have to pass it to find out what's in it, I guess. With regards to, you know, just the best advice that you would give to the medical practices that are listening out there right now, how, how to wrap all this up and, and should they kind of wait to, you know, see what that final ruling is going to be towards the end of the year before they really make any kind of changes on where they're at right now? Or are there some things they need to be doing right now in anticipation of that? Well, it's a really great point. And because you don't want to waste your resources, you don't want to put, you know, all these transactions on claims and your computer system be doing X, Y, Z. I mean, these are, you know, physician offices like no time in the past are running at 110 Mm percent lean. There is nobody left to do you know, every, all of this work. And so I do think we need to be very mindful of resource allocation, the fact that we can't spend hours and hours. So a couple of options here, as I mentioned, I think staying the course because the federal government based on the proposed rule is really not pivoting that much from where we've been for the last three to five years with the programs. Even though meaningful use is changing the names, we still have most of the components of meaningful use that, again, will be 2017, 2018, et cetera. So I think staying the course, I really am a big advocate of creating a calendar tickler. I know it sounds so basic, but do set September 1st. We need to make sure that has that final rule come out? Have we looked at great associations like MAG and seen if they've given us the cliff notes? And if not, we know in the next 30 days that we need to be on top of this because we now have just months left before we have to implement. So I do think knowledge is power. So it's really important to understand what's going on. At the same time, I understand why practices don't want to absolutely take action, spend the hours, weeks, et cetera, until we really know what do we have to do. We we covered ICD-10 ahead of the October implementation of that. So perhaps as we get down closer to that September date, maybe we'll have to have you back and... Yes, particularly because, yeah, that timing, interestingly enough, with October 1 is, as we know, the grace period for denials. So CMS agreed for one year to avoid denying any claims associated with ICD-10. So that grace period goes up on October 1st, 2016. So that's a whole nother set of challenges that I think we'll have to um, at least be concerned with, be knowledgeable about to make sure we don't see those payments coming in denied, denied, denied from a coding perspective. Lots to come. <laughs> when you look at the the changes that we're talking about here around the merit-based incentive payment system and even uh, the electronic health record requirements and value-based payment modifiers, are there some key areas when you sit down with a practice where you find this is where they tend to get off the track and be sideways with these that would impact their reimbursement rates? Would you see that there's some common common mistakes that practices are making where they're you know, maybe in the meantime, might be able to shore some things up. Yeah. What's interesting is I generally find intention isn't at play. Physicians do the right thing. You know, at the bottom line, we're talking about quality. 
Physicians do the right thing. The challenge comes in translating it to how the government wants to see it on a claim form, through the computer system, through a portal. And sometimes it's just as easy as I had an office manager last year and he or she forgot to leave us the password. So we couldn't even log in to figure out how we're going to report this to the government. So I generally find it has nothing to do with intention, nothing to do with, you know, just, I mean, physicians are wonderful, wonderful clinicians. It's an issue of administrative task. And so I do think really um, turning those good intentions and making sure the reporting of them is there so you can absolutely get what you deserve to get paid. Final thoughts before I let you get back to the office. Well, I do think that 2016 is going to be a game changer. We've got a lot of things going on. We've talked about a very important issue. We also haven't addressed the fact that we may have a new president by the time this final rule comes out. So there is no doubt in my mind that we cannot be comforted by the fact that, oh, it's streamlining everything. (laughs) Everything's going to be so good because, hold on, this is going to be another 12-month ride. One wants to unhinge it. One wants to uh, see how far we can take it. So, yeah, it'll be an interesting end of the year around these topics, I'm sure. Absolutely. You have some contact information where folks can go to get linked up with your consultancy and have you be able to sit in and help them out in in these types of areas? Sure. It's just my name, ElizabethWoodcock.com. And if you are coming back for the podcast and you've not done so already, you'll see in the upper left-hand corner of the show page, the Apple logo there. That'll take you to the Top Docs Radio Show podcast on iTunes. Subscribe to us so you'll get this episode downloaded straight to your device every week when the new one comes out. Be ready for the ride to work, walking the dog, whatever the case may be for you. And if you would, turn around and share this information, LinkedIn, social media, website, because you might just be putting some information in the hands of somebody that you care about that will either help their practice out um, or, or their personal lives, whatever the case may be, depending on what we're talking about. So we want to say thanks to the folks who will do that for us. Thanks for taking some time to join me in the studio. Thanks. Obviously, some important topics here that are really going to have some far-reaching impacts. Absolutely. You have to come back closer to uh, the actual implementation and uh, talk more about what gets finalized in that final version of the rule. Would love to. Well, uh, to uh, Elizabeth and all the folks at MAG, want to say thanks so much for being a partners with the show. And everybody out there that made us a part of their day-to-day, I want to say thank you very much. We respect you and uh, appreciate you joining us. We look forward to catching up with you same time, same place next week. We'll see you then. 